Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Behind the Sounds. Today I'm joined by Aaron Ratier, who is a Grammy winning songwriter and artist whose debut single, Everybody Else, is out now. We had a great time chatting all things songwriting, making his own music, his hits for the likes of Anderson East, Miranda Lambert and even Lady Gaga. We also discovered one of my favourite stories ever, how he wrote a song with his mum in quarantine. Hope you enjoy. I would quarantine in her house for a month we would sit there and I'd say well what do you think about this mom and she'd say this and I was like well hey that's pretty good and next thing you know we got songs and I turned them in and next thing you know the Oak Ridge Boys cut one of them actually (laughs) Anderson cut one of our songs too one of the songs that my mom and I wrote called uh, I Ain't No Zebra I'm a Bumblebee oh no like a charity project for a kid's record yeah I've been singing it for 10 years and I even thought it was my song. Honestly, I thought I'd written it by myself. And I looked back and we had we had registered it when we wrote it, but my mom wrote that song with me and we couldn't believe it. I was like, Mom, you're getting another cut this year. That's incredible. So, so like going back then to when you were younger, did your was your mom musical? Like were you a musical family? No, she can't even sing. She has <laughs> no time. She claps on the one. You know, she's got no, I don't know. So I think I think as a songwriter, you just listen to what people say and you gather it up and you make it make sense. And my mom's from Western Kentucky, and she's a daughter of a coal miner, or, or no, daughter of a farmer, and all her brothers are coal miners. And just every and she's an ER nurse, so she deals with the world every day, yeah. like the shit of the world. So everything that comes out of her mouth is just the brutal truth. And if you put yourself around people like that as a songwriter, I think you you absorb a lot of stuff I mean, everything yes yeah i mean i talk too much she talks a lot more than i do and everything has <laughs> some sort of story it's some sort of story or part of a story and then she'll go to another story and then she'll go to another story and that's exactly what i do and then hopefully wind it all up in the end to make some sort of sense yeah well but, I, mean, yeah. I mean everybody's got a song in them I mean, like, we could write a song. It's just a matter of who's the person to get the song out of people and put it down and make it make sense and all that. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a, it's just a weird art. It's weird. Yeah. Definitely. But, 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 uh, you know, she has a lot of good stuff to say. And I think since we were there for a month, I had enough time to write it down and make it make sense. And now she's into it. She's got, she's writing stuff down. We're writing more songs. That's absolutely, that's my, I think that's my favourite story I've ever heard, that your mum wrote a song that the Oak Ridge Boys are playing on the Opry. And is she, is she a fan? Like, is she a country fan? Is she an Oak Ridge Boys fan? Is this like a cool thing yeah, for her? It's called Love. Yeah, well, she's, a, she's definitely an Oak Ridge Boys fan. And, and I had gotten some songs with them before and we met them and everything. So they know, like, they, they were like, oh man, Sherry wrote this with you. I'm like, yeah, we'll tell her a good job and everything. Because they had, I'd taken her to meet the band before we, I'd written some Christmas songs and a couple other songs they recorded. But, um, yeah, she, and, and her, her folks have passed away, but they were big Oak Ridge Boys fans too. So I think for her, it was just, it was pretty cool. It was like a, a little gift, you know, she's a songwriter now. And, and really she's a songwriter. She's going to get a deal. I've got friends that have been trying to get deals for 10 years. Yeah. And, here comes mom to town. <laughs> That's uh, absolutely amazing. I'm, crazy. And it's song, song called, yeah, it's called Love, Light, and Healing. Yeah. And it's just like a gospel song that they, I mean, pretty far out. So. That's amazing. What else? What else? I'll just keep talking about mom all day, too. <laughs> no, no, you're she, good. I, and, yeah. That I, that's where we come from. Um, so the, what I was kind of going to elaborate on is, so obviously growing up she can't sing but did you did you often have like was music on in the house a lot like how did how did you get into it if your family weren't musical well well the, my dad was listening to like uh blues mississippi john heard like the chess blues collection kind of stuff mom's listening to like do the locomotion michael jackson pad like so that stuff's playing i remember a lot of like sting and uh, I want to say dad had a pretty good taste in music. Not that those are bad songs that mom picked, but I think mom had the not so good taste in music. Like if you look at the records and I think I have a pretty bad taste in music too. I don't listen to a lot of music, but the music I listen to for the most part sucks is what I think most people think when I'm, <laughs> I put a song on. What do you listen uh, to? All right. All right. Something else. You know, I, 
I mean, I love like John Spencer Blues Explosion. Have you ever listened to them? Probably not. I've got bad taste, but they're. But I think they're great. And I don't know. It just sets my brain off weird. I listen to a bunch of rap music, but you know, old rap music that I was listening to when I was in high school. I think I still listen to the same shit I listened to when I was in high school. That's what it is. And yeah. I never from there. I just started making up my own stuff, going back to my favorite CDs. I used to mow lawns and go buy CDs. And those are the ones that, that I really like listen to every track because I also worked all day to get it. So I would sit there and you mm-hmm. know, beat it up. Now, since music's so accessible and it's free, you just kind of dabble in it here and there, I think. And it's not as much of a like, hey, we're going over to Bill's house to listen to records all night, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's a different genre. All night. Like it was a thing. Yeah, you mm-hmm. grow up listening to music. Now you grow up like playing video games and shit. Yeah. Um, which is cool. And how did you, like, when did you, like, first pick up a, a guitar or a piano? Like, when did you learn to oh, play? okay, okay. So, so, mom's not very musical. She there was always a piano around, and she made me take piano lessons for a minute, but that didn't go over too well. I just didn't like them. <laughs> then my folks got divorced when I was 13. Folks got divorced, and then I heard Nirvana and, and Smashing Pumpkins, and then started getting into these like weird grunge bands like L7 and Veruca Salt and Elastica. And it was like bar chord grunge bands. And it's because my dad had all these guitars laying around and he was playing blues. But parents split and he would lend me a guitar. And then when I go over to his place, I would just crank up the amp and play guitar. I mean, I don't know if it's so I didn't really have to talk to anybody or whatever, but I would sit and just fuck with his guitar and I also think it was like a teen angst thing like I just wanted to be better at it than he was kind of thing yeah you know because I was like fuck this guy fuck his guitars <laughs> you know parents are divorced I went with mom my little sister went with dad so I'd go visit dad twice a week and just play his guitars and like eat all the pizza and watch the cable tv and all the shit I couldn't do at mom's and then I'd head back home yeah but, uh, he showed me some chords, but he never really taught me how to play anything. He just pretty much made it all available, and he always encouraged it, and he never said no to, like, hey, man, I'm not going to – I'm going to do this. You know, he's, mm-hmm. like, he's from New York. My dad's from New York City. Right. And he's more like art brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd, I'd say dad gave me the guitar, and then it was – then I went to church. I went to, like, a church youth group with a buddy of mine, and I learned – and I got free pizza, learned to play the guitar, and and make, started making out with girls. <laughs> the dream. <laughs> Everything you learn at church is like pizza, women, and guitars. <laughs> and, and then, and, so, it sounds quite casual, like, how you started. Then, how does that correlate into, I'm going to do this as a career, or I'm going to start? Yeah, I just started playing, it. and I, would, I, would, I didn't want to dig a ditch or paint a fence. Or I'd done all that for, like, $5 an hour, and then I went and played a sh- You know, the first time you ever get paid playing guitar is pretty memorable and then you're like holy crap you mean you're gonna give me 50 dollars to just sing some songs you know and then mm-hmm. and you're like holy crap you're gonna give me 500 dollars to sing some songs you're like holy crap you're giving me five thousand dollars to sing some songs <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like i am never gonna dig another ditch again unless it's like my ditch and i really want to do it you know yeah but i think i think and, and then girls they're meeting people you know like if you're a dork but you got a guitar like <laughs> rock and roll you know so i i mean i think i think it was all about not working and meeting girls and then you're the fact that i was writing i was doing it anyway so it's like i was saying if you could just figure out how to do something and get paid for it that that you're going to do anyway you know yeah so playing like guitar and kind of learning that you you know you can get paid for that how when did you first realize you could actually write a song like you know i I wrote a song when I was eight years old called Smoke a Bowl. And it was about how I was going to smoke a bowl. And then I was going to do all the acid and turn myself into a pretzel. And I was going to think I was going to blow all the lines or something. And I showed it to my mom and dad. And my mom was like, what in the world? And my dad was like, it's pretty well written. And the thought was, the thing is, they had a subscription to Rolling Stone magazine. And I was reading Rolling Stone like pretty young. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this song about getting wild and, but it wasn't anything I'd ever done before. But, you know, I think at that point, it was my it was my dad the whole time because he was just like, well, you know, it makes sense. It's pretty good, you know. So I started making more songs on a four-track tape player, and I'd take them to my buddies at school, and they'd all laugh. And 
I was more into just getting a reaction. I'd make up songs about people and we made up some mean songs, you know, you're just shitty little kids, you know, we'd like make up some songs about our buddies, you know, the stupid face or something, you know, and then they'd go around uh, our other buddies, you know, and they'd start making songs. And I think it was just like, it was just for fun. And it was for fun for the longest time, you know, when, also when kids are messed up from some, you know, personal thing, like some divorce or some, I don't know, some physical shit or something. Some, a lot of people just fall into music. And I think I was, I don't know if it was music, but I think I was just kind of hiding out from all the shit that was going wrong in my family and just, just not necessarily like writing songs about it, but just fucking around with music, you know, I just mm -hmm. shut, shut the door and press buttons and make noises, you know? Yeah, definitely. And is there any point, obviously you said it was fun for a long time, but is there any point that you're like, you realize, you're like, oh, I can actually make a career out of this. I can actually make a living out of it. I, I think I never really I thought I was I always just figured there really wasn't much else to do besides ride around and play in bars and you know um I I had taught it it took a minute you know because I knew some people had success in the music with songs but I also knew that there's Spotify and Napster and the, the songwriter successful songwriters kind of thing in the past. Mm -hmm. Especially in Nashville, I want to say there's hundreds of paid songwriters where there used to be thousands of paid songwriters. I mean, of course, everybody in town has a song, you know, as a songwriter. But I mean, the people mm -hmm. that actually get to do it every day, all day for money. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know. And it's still not a whole lot of money. I, I got a lot of friends that think, you know, yeah, you're down here, a bazillionaire. You got all these cuts and everything. Like, I got a good resume, but I also have a lot of cuts and not. In the world we're in, if you have singles, that's where the money is, you know, yeah. and you want your song on FM radio too. Like you could have a big song on Spotify that, you know, has a hundred million spins, but if you don't own any of that track, you don't get a dollar off of that. So I've got a lot of songs out there that I've been right around that have, you know, 15, 20 million spins, but I've never seen a penny off of it just because I don't own the physical recording. Mm-hmm. The, the person that owns the physical recordings who kind of who gets the royalty off of Spotify streams. But also a lot of people don't understand that like 20 million Spotify streams isn't, I mean, like it isn't 20 million plays on the FM radio mm -hmm. because one play on FM radio is like to 200,000 listeners. So two days of your song on the FM radio is going to hit 20 million ears like quick. So, I mean, it's really, you know, 20 million plays is really like having your song on the radio for two days and then it just disappears, which I don't know. It's I know the way, the way the money flows and everything's really weird. And I think a lot of people mistakenly think, I think the songwriter is the one that gets fucked the most. Cause like the, if you go into a session, the producer you, gets a front end payment and they get a percentage of the record on the back end. Mm -hmm. Every musician in the room and the engineer leaves with the check because they've put, but I'll get, but songwriters are often in, I'll be in the session, you know, for a whole week and, you know, you're off, off the clock, just hoping, hoping you might get a cut, you know, like when I went out to LA, like it was like seven years ago to write for that stars born movie, you know, the drummer that's sitting there every day for you with a week for a week, he's getting paid like five grand a day to just be on call. So he's leaving mm -hmm. with like $20,000. And you're just sitting there writing songs all day, just hoping something will get in this movie that's not coming out for three years. So knowing that you're never, you're more than likely you're getting a really cool experience. Yeah. <laughs> but more than likely, the case generally is nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, most songwriters turn in hundreds of songs a year and maybe five to 10 of them are cuts. And if they're lucky, a couple of them are a single. If they're super lucky, some of them are hits. And then there's like, 15 guys in town that just have like 20 hits, but they're just special genius people that understand how <laughs> it works, you know? Yeah. You know, there's no explanation, but for the most part, it's an impossible career. For the most part, it's impossible. Yeah. And, if, and I'd never encourage anyone to do it because if you're going to do it, you're just going to do it. You mm -hmm. just do it. Like, it's not like someone said, well, I was thinking about being a songwriter. Well, and you probably aren't one, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And obviously, like, why obviously you've written a lot of, of country, a lot of Americana, loads of different things. Yeah. What drew you to Nashville to move there, to start your career there? I went to graduate school in Murfreesboro, in about uh, half an hour south of Nashville. And I got my master's degree in recording engineering. And 
I'm not much of a recording engineer. I just had a lot of studio time there. But I have a master's degree, so my plan B was teach college, you know, or teach teach a class. And I've applied a few times to teach at a couple different universities and thankfully have not gotten the job because that would have sucked <laughs> if I had a teacher right now. Like, I probably wouldn't have done half the stuff I've done because mm-hmm. I, I tried to be a professor, like, five, six years ago. And if I'd gotten that, I would have not been up here, like, still hoofing it, you know. Yeah hustling but um yeah so anyway everybody I was half an hour from Nashville so I just started going because I I was there and there were opportunities there and then honestly what happened was then I I uh, was playing the Bluebird one night I auditioned for the Bluebird too I stood in line with like 400 people two years before like they you get the gig and they're like congratulations you got the gig uh you can play here in a year and a half and you're like what in the world so I I'd forgotten about it, but my mom had not. And she called me and was like, good luck at the Bluebird. And I was in Murfreesboro camping out on a hill. I had a fire going. And I was like, holy shit, I'm playing tonight. And it's an hour drive. So I just dropped all my shit and drove to town or to Nashville and played this gig. And there was this really pretty lady in the back of the room. And she was on a date, too. And I got really drunk. I don't don't drink anymore, but I got really drunk. And I walked up to her, and I, and I had a pretty entertaining show after the show. And I walked up to her, and I said, "If that doesn't work out between you and him, just call his, just give me a call." <laughs> I just walked off, and she called me, and then we talked for a few weeks, and then I wound up, long story short, like move pretty much just moving to Nashville within the next three weeks, and moving in with her. Wow! And, yeah, into this big ass nice place, and you know the journey kind of continued, you know, like I moved in with her and then all my buddies are all over town and I started writing and everything. And, uh, she was really helpful. Like introduced me to a lot of people in town just for this and that. And, mm-hmm. you know, all in who, you know, kind of thing, I guess really for my story, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and then just, you know, and then just being able to follow through when you get an opportunity is other thing, you know, then just show up and do it. You know, if you get, if somebody's like, Hey, this guy can do a backflip. Well, you, you got to show up and do a backflip every now and then, you know. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think, and, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, looping back, kind of, obviously, you saying, like, it's all in who you know. How did you meet all these people? Was it literally just turning up to bars, going to writers, writers rounds, just showing your face? Yeah, well, I met Anderson in a class, actually, because he was an undergrad, and we were both skipping class and hanging out, and, and, uh, we just hit it off. You know, you click with some people. It usually happens pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And then I think I'm just pretty, t- I talk too much. I go places and I tend to just like walk down the street and meet everybody. You know, the guy that knows where everything is, is the guy that's been sitting on the bench all day, you mm-hmm. know, so you give him two bucks. And next thing you know, you know, everybody, you know, and um, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I th- And I also think you hit a certain point where you know enough people, you know, like they say, come to town and network and, you know, you need to, get your team together and get in some sort of camp you know and they have different names for everything and I think then you get your networking done and you get your team together and you drink all the beer and you meet all the ladies and you you know do everything right and you do everything wrong and then all of a sudden you're like okay I've met enough people <laughs> got my team yeah. together like yeah I think that's and I'm you know I just turned 39 like a few weeks ago and I feel like I'm just now kind of getting the ball really rolling and mm-hmm. uh I don't know. I got friends that are retired that have, you know, 18 year old children. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's all in like, I think it takes a lot of patience to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, you got it's all in what you're happy with too. Cause I mean, I don't know. I'm looking around at my 300 square foot apartment and thinking like, <laughs> I don't know if everybody would be down with this, you know, but I'm good. I'm good. It's a tour bus for like months, you know, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, like, obviously it really has paid off for you, like the last few years in particular. Um, Obviously, as you said, you know, it starts a lot with the Anderson stuff and I kind of want to zone in on that just a little bit because as, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of his and I think he's, I personally think he's one of the most underrated like artists out there. He's yeah, still he's, kind of he's here to stay. I mean, I know that he's here to stay. Like he's all he's like the slow climber, you know. I think, and that was a plan forever too. Like underrated, mm-hmm. and it's because I also think everybody just he's just being really patient and honest with people and not coming out with some 
you know, crazy campaign of like, let's take this to the top right now, you know, and mm-hmm. um, his catalog's already pretty crazy. I mean, the amount of records he has, just if you just now were just be like, oh, I heard of that guy and you were going to go listen to him, like, he's got some good shit just sitting there, you know, that like, it ain't going anywhere. And, and all we're doing is just writing more shit and everybody's just getting better at what they do. And it's like, I think at this point, you just got to stay alive. I mean, that's all you got to do. And it's only, it's going to be great to stay alive. Everybody take your advice and see. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, you know? definitely. And yeah. is that, is that just from like a, a songwriter, and I'm not a songwriter, I'm a songwriter nerd. Okay. Is there any songs of his in particular that you've written that you, when you think of writing with him and you think of all the experiences and all the cuts you've had, are there any that, kind of shine in particular that you think is maybe I mean, your favorite I, or is it a really special experience to write okay i think uh, my favorite one of my favorite songs of all time is uh house is a building and um mm-hmm. i had that line but but we were with natalie it was i don't know uh, natalie Hemby. she me and her and uh anderson usually got some crazy special thing going on we were there's a song on his new record uh if you really love me that we that we wrote yeah. and uh, and also, this too shall last has wound up being another song that's really like really punched people's hearts. I think Natalie brought that idea, or maybe I don't know who who cares who brought it. Like, it <laughs> takes everybody to bring it alive. But um, and then I mean, we wrote some really fun stuff on that first record, like "Satisfy Me" and "Devil in Me," and some of his older songs, like "Devil in Me," is like everybody was, you know, they're all these two kids are going skinny dipping, and this guy's out hooking up with the preacher's daughter and all this stuff. And like, thing is like, we were getting wild as hell then too. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like that off, off point. And now I was, you know, now stuff's like a little more grown up, like maybe I love you more than I hate you and all this, you know, thinking into stuff. And I don't know. I, but I mean, the, the, okay, the most special experience was we wrote uh, this song for the, it was called the Southern Family Record that Dave, put, Dave Cobb put together this yeah. uh, thing. And it was called Learning to Be a Man. And I had gone out on the road to write a song with him. And I think I got, we were in Louisville and he, and at a hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. And um, we had like two more days to go or something or another. And I just got pissed off. And I was like, I'm going home, man. That, because I can walk to the bus station from here and I was getting on a Greyhound and I was like look are we gonna write this song or not he was like all right he ordered some fried chicken to the room and we sat there and wrote this song about his dad called learning to be a man and it wound up being one of the cooler songs another one of those cooler songs and I don't think it would have happened if I if we hadn't both been like you know I was he was he he had a bunch of waiting around for shows and I was just there to work and he wasn't really feeling like like it sounds like well I'm leaving and then they're like, and then he's like, all right, well, I guess we got to get this shit done now. You know? <laughs> we got it done in like the hour and a half because I went ahead and bought a bus ticket. because I was leaving, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, fine, let's write it. Fine, let's write it. Fine. <laughs> he just wrote it. And then it was like, awesome. High five. Love you, brother. See you soon. You know, we did it. You know? Yeah. So I think some songs just fall, fall out whether you want them to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, and I write songs with a lot of people. I've written songs with a lot of people. And uh, and I got a lot of great co-writers, but he's he's my only co-writer that's really like my best friend too. I mean, we can write, we we can work, and then we can just hang out for six months and just not even talk about music and just go yeah. fit. And most of my most people, you know, there's not too many people you can hang out with for six months and just go fit. So yeah, definitely pretty lucky, pretty lucky there. Yeah, lucky. and w- one thing I really like about his music is that I just feel like it could have been released any time ever you know it could have been released yeah. in the 60s or the 80s or now um p- particularly that for um the delilah record i think yeah. it's just so it will live on forever like the the music in that is there when you're in the studio because obviously he has a lot of production on a lot of his songs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is there when you're writing it do you picture how good it's going to be or is it very much you're just like lyrics let's go or is it a real I- kind of process I come in from the lyric angle when I'm right with him and I don't show up with a guitar or anything because I'm from central Kentucky and my songs sound like they all sound similar. I like bluegrass songs like GCD, EAB and the occasional F. Those are the chords <laughs> I play. But he's a musician. He understands music and everything. I'm a writer. I'm a lyricist. So mm-hmm. when I go into most of these sessions, I'm not bringing any music at all. And 
really, I don't really care where the music goes a lot of times. I just want the story to make sense because as long as the story makes sense, then I did my job. And if the music makes sense, then you did your job. But now I got melodies for days, but they're all generally from Central Kentucky, like high, lonesome, woohoo, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I go from that. I was thinking there was another uh, cool one we did. We wrote, uh, you know, the song, um, I think I'm in love with your girlfriend. Or, uh, yeah. Uh, I know it. <laughs> it's with Avicii, and we wrote with Avicii and spent the day with him and everything. And it was like not long after that he was he wasn't with us anymore, you know. And yeah. so that experience was crazy. And that was that watching that come together because they were recording horns on that song before we even had any lyrics. Like we were in that we wrote it in the session day mm-hmm. of with camera crew kind of looking at us the whole time, just passing a notebook around, like putting lines on it. And it was one of the weirder experiences that we pulled off. Like it happened, we did it, and it worked. So that's amazing. Uh, what? How much pressure is on you then for for that experience when you don't have any words and you've got people filming you? And you're like, oh, we've got yeah. to, we've got to write a song. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you just have to realize that whatever you do, it could be better, and someone else could do it better. So you just may as well just do it and do what you do, mm-hmm. and that's all you can do. And I, I mean, I think I've definitely missed, you know, there's been some days where I've gone in and missed, but then if you have a good time and you're kind of knocking at the door or something, maybe they give you another shot or that's why there's all sorts of writers in town though. You know, you, you write with for on a project, maybe they'll write with 10 dudes and six of them will ring yeah. the bell, you know, and the other three, well, we, it was a good sandwich, buddy. I hope I see you next, you know, again, and some people it works and some it doesn't, but. I don't know. I, I do better with that pressure. I do better and also do better knowing that something's going to happen with my work because a lot of writers, I mean, I've got thousands and thousands of songs that won't ever see the light of day. I mean, I've forgotten about hundreds of them. I've run into people. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, nice to meet you. Hell, we wrote a song together. No shit. What was it? They pull it up. <laughs> I don't even remember writing the song yeah. or knowing the person, you know, because if every day you're going in doing the same thing for 17 years, you know, I wrote two songs today. Some days we'll write three. So that's mm-hmm. like 10 or 11 or 15 a week sometimes. And then half of them, not shit's happening with them. You're just, it's like a bunch of noodles and you're throwing them against the wall and a few of them will stick. But for the most part, most of them, you just got a big old rotten pile of noodles on the floor. <laughs> you know, I mean, but every night, you know, you know, and then some people are just luckier than hell, too. I mean, it's like fishing or the lottery or gambling or like some people come to Nashville and in a half a year have a song on the radio and their face on TV and they're telling everyone to suck it. And everyone is just like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. You know, and then there's people who have been in town for 50 years or 30 years or, you know, there's 65 year old dudes downtown still throwing noodles at the wall. And there's a chance, you know, nobody's. Yeah. They could do it. They could still do it, you know. And some of them have done it. Like, and some of them did it back in 1980 and they never did it again, but they're so hooked. You know, it's like winning a blackjack, but you just can't leave the table, even though, you know. So I feel like, yeah, I'm, I've been doing all right, but I've never won any, any blackjack really until I, until I was about like 36. <laughs> the, the metaphorical blackjack, you know, metaphor yeah. songwriting. Like, I didn't have any luck until really until I uh, met Dave Cobb. And Dave was producing Anderson, and then Dave's my publisher. So I've been writing for Dave for like six years. Yeah. And he his company is through Warner Chapel. And there's uh, Jesse Vaughn. I don't know if you've been in touch with her over email or through any of this, but Jesse's like a wizard over at Warner, and she's responsible for probably twenty to forty songwriters. I don't know, and um, you know their schedules and where their songs are going, and you know, so it's really a the it takes a whole you know takes a village. You, yeah, we make the babies and then it takes the village, you know. <laughs> it really so, does. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Miranda's record because you yeah. were on her The Weight of These Wings record, the double the double record, yeah. and it was kind of in a weird way. This in a sense, people saw it as like a comeback record because she'd been away for a few years, and then she was like, Oh, I'm just gonna do a double album. And you had a couple of cuts on that. What was that whole experience like writing? Because I feel like the from stories I've heard she has just such a kind of cool atmosphere oh, around great. her when she's writing. Yeah, she's great. And we're still really great friends. And we just we just wrote something that hopefully comes out pretty soon, too. I'm pretty excited about. 
Um, but she's such a great writer is the thing. Like a lot of artists are just singers or they're just beautiful or they're just, I mean, she comes in and has like a verse and a chorus and it's like, what do y'all think about this? And sings it down and it's like really, really, really good, you know? And when you spend time with her, you understand why she's so good at, at what she is. That record we wrote for the birds, I just put on my new record. So I recorded it too. Nice. Um, I wrote... I started for the birds. I was living out in uh, this town called Pleasant View, like 45 minutes north of Nashville. It was right after my house burned down. I moved in with a friend of mine, John Decius. He's probably one of my favorite songwriters in town. And John has a single wide trailer um, in Pleasant View. So we just moved into this trailer. And um, uh, hang on, I'm blanking out. What are we talking about? Right in the middle? <laughs> for the birds. <laughs> for the birds. And so John... Wakes up at six o'clock every morning and uh, no matter what, even on Sundays. And at that time, he set an alarm for 6 a.m. So it's going off. So everybody's waking up at 6 a.m. So we get up and then he just wants to he, he's the most songwriting son of a bitch I've ever met. He just wants to write songs all day long. So 6 a.m. He starts getting up and talking and shit. So I'm like trying to figure out a way to have a moment of silence, like right when we wake up. And I was like. So we start this thing, the 30-minute song, which we've kind of been perfecting. And he's actually he's actually written like 180 of these things. But pretty much you start a you start, you know, you, you in 30 minutes you write a song. And it'll be 30 minutes. And you write the song about whatever's in front of you, just like a writing exercise. And I just had all these bird feeders. I was super into all the birds, and I was just and then for the birds means you're like crazy, you know. This is for the birds, this is a bunch of bullshit. It's all for the birds, you know. And I got a lot of that song written in 30 minutes. That my, that one real, like, most of it came right there. All about, I'm on your team, birds, just talking to these birds, looking out my window, smoking some weed, you know? <laughs> and then and then took it over. Then I had a write with Miranda, all because, uh, and the way I got in there is just 100%. They were dating, you know? She'd date my best friend, and he had played her some of my songs. So we went in there, and her mom and her, I think, have some sort of inside joke about for the birds. Like, it was just coincidence that this really was, like, a personal thing that she said back and forth to her mom. Oh, wow. And, and then also, like, she had, like, tweet-a-lee-a-lee-dee-dee and all these, like, little bells and whistles and fixed parts of it. And just as flat out, she's just like, I'm going to cut this. And I'm like, holy shit, are you serious? You know, like, and... That was how that that one happened really fast and organic and like we just hung out and finished the song, and then but the other ones were uh, Tomboy and uh, Well Rested. Yeah, Tomboy was with um, we wrote we wrote two songs. There was another one called White Hot that nothing ever happened with it that I should read. I'm gonna write that now. I should revisit that because <laughs> there you go. Me and Natalie and Miranda wrote Tomboy and we wrote the song called White Hot. Um, I'll take the credit for that one too as well. <laughs> yeah, it's done. sitting there. It's done. But uh, but uh, and that was the first time I met Natalie. And then me and Natalie wound up being just like she's like sister, mom, brother to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then uh, and Natalie's a wizard. Like watching the two of them do their thing. And Natalie's also like her, like Dean Dillon to George Strait. Like Natalie's her, her number one co-writer. So it was just a real. I became a better writer that night. I'll say that. I learned something. I don't know what it was, but I got a little bit of their juice. Mm -hmm. that it was good. And then, um, and then well rested, we rode around a campfire one night. We were just talking, just kind of passing a guitar. And it was uh, me and her and Anderson wrote the shit out of that song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, and I think that was another one that was like 30 minute, just convenient, like, holy moly, that just happened. You know, like songwriting's magic sometimes. It just happens. And sometimes, you know, I, I heard um the house that built you or the house that built me her mm -hmm. song the the guys that wrote that she didn't write on that the guys that wrote that it took them 13 years to finish it i think wow yeah that's so, a long time but it's worth it because it's a song of a decade right yeah i'm more i'm i gotta move faster than that i <laughs> forgot about it i've already forgot about songs that are done mm. so so i want to talk a bit about natalie Hemby because as you say she's a wizard um, you've written a lot of songs with her. I know you've got a cut on her upcoming record. Am I right in yeah, saying right. that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, one song that you've written together, which we I can't not ask you about, is I'll Never Love Again. 
Yeah. So, as you kind of mentioned briefly, A Star is Born, Oscar winning, Grammy winning, everything winning film made Gargar Brad Cooper. I'm not going to go into that because everyone's seen it, everyone knows it, everyone knows the music. And you had yeah. a few cuts on it. How in the world did that happen? Dave, not, not great, but I just want to know the story behind it. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty much like, I like I was just lucky enough to be working with Dave um, Cobb and he's one of the producers on the project. And I also know that uh, Andrew Brightman's another guy that he works with that had something to do with setting, getting, getting everybody's foot in the door with the project. Cause Andrew's out in LA and kind of hustled up the project for Dave. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I really just, I didn't know, know any of this happened. It's random. Like um, I got a call. I think Natalie got a call. Lori McKenna got a call. Hillary Lindsay, I think, made a, she had kind of planned on it, and then they needed some more writers. Mm -hmm. um, but I got a call on like Friday and flew out there on Saturday afternoon, Friday night. They're like, "Hey, man, you want to work with Lady Gaga?" Oh, she, yeah, cool. You know, and then they just put you up, and we sat out there for a week. I'd never been to California or Los Angeles. I think I've been to California, never been to Los Angeles, and um, that was a hell of a way to go for the first time because. The Foo Fighters were working on their record in the same studio. And I'd already written some songs with Chris Shiflett because Dave works with Chris and he plays guitar. So Chris just introduces to everybody. And so like cooler part of working with Lady Gaga was hanging out with Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave Grohl, like California weed's legal and cigarette, he smokes cigs and I was smoking weed. So I'd go out back and there, there he is just hanging out you know, and like son of a bitch, just Dave Grohl and that guy's. <laughs> Cooler than hell, I'd say. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, we're hanging hanging out. I want to say it was like Tuesday that we finally had uh, a write with Lady Gaga, and it was me and her, Natalie and Hillary Lindsay, that I wrote and that I wrote that song with. And um, I want to say it took us like half an hour, like forty five minutes. Yeah. We went into the studio, we sat at a piano that uh, it was like Paul Simon's piano or somebody's piano, somebody's. Sinatra's piano, I want to say. It's Sinatra's piano in this studio, East West Studio in Los Angeles. Wow. I think I think it's a pretty famous studio. Mm. And uh, and then uh yeah, just kicked this idea around in it. I mean, we knew we did know we were writing the movie for, for the song for the movie, like the movie was still being written, so we knew that it needed to be like the big grand finale, like she just lost her man, and you know what. You know, and then we, we just kind of kicked it around. It just came out. And then they all took off. Like, they all left. Lady Gaga left. Natalie left. Hillary left. And I just hung out around the studio and started drinking wine. <laughs> and there were all these other – there were in this studio, there's all these other studios, you know, a bunch of individual studios working on the Lady Gaga project. I didn't know what was going on. I just thought I'd try to hustle up another song. So, like, I just, like, wandered in the next room and, like, it's DJ White Shadows session. It's a guy named Paul Blair. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lucas Nelson was hanging out. And I just was drunk enough to just be like, hey, if y'all need any words, I'm full of them. You know, I, I got them there. Like, well, son of a bitch, we actually do. You know, I'm like, wow, you know. And we wrote, uh, is that all right? And we wrote, um, look what I found. Mm -hmm. like, in like the next hour and a half there. And then Lucas came in and sang them down. There's like four or five writers on both those songs. And then I went home and that was all that Tuesday. And then the rest of the week, I think we wrote a few more songs that didn't make it in the movie, but really like the, my, in one day is when all that. Sh and then I didn't hear about it for four, three, four years. They were like, it was years. That's was years. mad. And then I got a call and they're like, Hey man, we think you got three songs on this movie. I'll never love again. Is that all right? Look what I found. And I'm like, well, I recognize I'll never love again, but I don't, really recall right and look what i found or is that all right i was like you might want to be sure on that and then and they call back and they're like all right well we asked them and they said yeah they're sure you're on it <laughs> and i went look back to my notes and i, I called them back i was like i'll be damned i am on it i found it you know like i was drunk and i didn't remember i mean it was stupid it was really stupid like i just was hanging out with people just go well hey say this how about this well it could be this you know and i just walked home you know hanging out and it made it on the damn movie it's the yeah, I don't know if you know those other two songs, but the oh, other two yeah, songs I do. 
I don't know. The other two songs, I just walked in there and started talking like I'm doing now, just too much about nothing. And how about this? How about that? We can take a left. We can take a right. You know, and I think apparently somebody wrote it all down. Well, there you go. And I wrote a bunch of it down, too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, so it was like a wrong turn gone right kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like I probably should not have hung out there longer than I was supposed to, like drinking the free wine and harassing people. But it worked out. But it did exactly there you go and then so three so however many years later not only do you have these three cuts but then you get a grammy nomination and then a grammy win like what in the world what? so um just for podcast uh, this it was best song written for visual media right uh-huh. um so you and natalie and hillary two questions about that one, did you ever find your phone? Because it's my favorite. <laughs> Literally, you guys walk on stage so shocked, yeah. and Natalie Hemby's like, Aaron lost his phone in the Uber. Honestly, I'm so glad she said that because so well well if we if they hadn't won, like what happens? I, I was I was riding, I rode there, I'm in my tux or whatever, my phone fell out of my pocket in the Uber. And then whoever was in the Uber after me stole it because it just disappeared. Somebody just turned it off. So it was gone. So mm-hmm. I didn't know, I never been I really, I didn't know where the name of my hotel, I didn't know where anybody was sitting. I didn't know where to meet anybody. I couldn't call an Uber. I couldn't, I I, I was screwed. Mm -hmm. And so I was just wandering around and they started announcing the awards. I walked in there and it was, ours was like the noon award. It was one of the first awards. So they say our names. I'm like, holy moly, there they are. Everybody stood up over on the other side. I run over there. We get the thing. Natalie's like, where have you been? I'm like, I lost my phone. She runs up there. She's like, Aaron lost his phone. (laughs) And, and then in that time, like, I guess I got like a hundred messages or something from people that I hadn't heard from in five years, you know, Hey man, went to high school with you, you know, too cool. Wishing you the best. All those messages just disappeared into thin air. Like they didn't ever come back on some other phone or anything, you know? So, so, all right. So I go through the thing, like we do some pictures or whatever. And then I get out and I'm like, all right, I got to handle this. Everybody is celebrating and going to get lunch and all that. And I got to, I meet this guy that works for BMI in New York and he agrees to call me an Uber, but they've got all the city blocks blocked off. So he calls me an Uber and I have to run like three blocks to meet a random car and say like, my name's George, you know, or whoever this guy was. <laughs> then he, then he drives me 45 minutes to like, I want to say it's called Oak Hill or something, Oak something, um, 45 minutes away to a mall with an Apple store in it. And then I can't remember my passwords and I can't remember anybody's (laughs) phone number to call for anything, you know? And so I sit in the Apple store for six and a half hours in my tux holding my Grammy tickets. And then, and then I get a, finally get all my shit figured out and I get in an Uber around like eight o'clock and I'm like exhausted. And most of the parties and all the after stuff is like either started or over, you know? So I just go back to my hotel. I didn't experience any of it. I just went back to my hotel and no shit i'm not i'm um i drank a bunch of beers with this random person at the bar just hanging out playing old hotel hang go upstairs go into my hotel room and the guy next door like falls out of his room with his girlfriend they're kind of laughing and stuff and she's like you just want a fucking grammy you know and i was like no shit i just want a grammy too and this guy comes over winds up being danny carey from tool and oh. he had one heavy metal song of the year and it just so happened that tool was playing in nashville in two weeks so he's like, hey, man, like when you're in Nashville, let me know and I'll put you on the list. So my highlight of going to the Grammys was and losing all my shit and missing the whole thing was coming back to the hotel, meeting the drummer from Tool. And then two weeks later, I went down there with 10. I told him I got 10 of my friends in and we all got backstage and the stickies and all that shit. Like it was like fifteen hundred dollars worth of an experience, you know, um, anyway, I mean, what a it was like the best day and the day from hell like it was Mm -hmm. the worst because i didn't know i was just lost you know so now i'm like it's i mean it's on my list to get a flip phone too i gotta i gotta get some sort of like emergency backup situation here because Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna do it again i know i am i lose everything all the time well if you have an experience like that and it turns out that way every time then maybe it's not the worst thing maybe i just need to lose the damn thing again yeah, definitely. Um, I've got to ask because I'm so curious. What is Lady Gaga like to write with? 
Oh, she was great. She could sing. She was a good hang. But, I mean, I really didn't get to know her, like, personally. I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of time. Um, I mean, I saw her throughout the week and, you know, listened to some of the demos and stuff. But, you know, I think she's a, she's a super, super, superstar, you know. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, like, country music celebrities and then there's, like, worldwide celebrities. And, I mean, she was, like, she definitely had the vibe, you know. You could feel the power coming off her. <laughs> so she was great. Like another one of those deals where you got it once you sat down in front of her and she did her thing and you're like, oh, whoa, you know. Mm-hmm. And when, it's, when you're not hearing it through a microphone or a TV and you really just like hear it, it's like, holy shit, some, some people got just got a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, she's made a career out of, and calls herself Lady Gaga. Like, I don't know what a name, you know, but she's, da- she's good enough that, you know, she call herself boogers and nobody's going to care because she's <laughs> great, you know? Yeah, well, indeed. Indeed. So. Um, so since then, and obviously for, because I just conscious of time, you've written with so many people, you know, country and beyond. Um, Ashley Monroe, I love your stuff with her. Ashley McBride, yeah. Kaylee Hammock, Chrissy Metz, yeah. who obviously is another kind of Hollywood um yeah. but this week you have re- released your debut single as an artist it's out now can you tell me like a little bit one about the song and also why you thought now was the right time to do it well okay i the uh well the reason it's happening now is is really just, it's just the way it's like the little record that coulds or i've been calling it because we started working on this thing like five years ago and then we kind of finished it up you know two-ish years ago and then it took a whole lot of just managers and people and and getting it all together because i'm not the business source so it's kind of like the record was i mean it's not i don't want to say it's like the greatest record that ever lived but it's got a little thing to it that's enough that made people want to come out and help me bring it to life but i was never going around town being like hey we need to i got this record we need to bring it to life it was more like people were like yo you know he's got that record like someone should do something about that you know he just because i'm just going around writing songs people are like do you ever do anything you're on i'm like yeah i got this record but you know whatever you know and mm-hmm. <clears throat> i think um everybody else kind of just came together actually i wrote that well the, okay so the reason it's on the record is because Anderson and Miranda picked all the songs. I, I, they, they really produced the record. Like I, I turned in, I gave them like 150 songs to pick from that I would be happy to have recorded and put on the record. And for some reason or another, they picked those. And everybody else I wrote in 2013 with this girl named Femka Wiedema. I want to say it's Wiedema. I hope I'm not fucking it up, but she just goes by Femka in, in Nashville, and she's a Grammy Award winning. She is a, a producer for her production on some Latino music, and she produces all sorts of Dutch artists. She's Dutch and um, lives in Nashville, works in Nashville, and she was just one of the first people I'd really met, and she didn't really speak her English. I'm sure is a lot better now, but, I mean, that's a country-ass song, so I mean, <laughs> It was really like some songs you co-write and you feel like, well, that's more my song. Or you feel like, well, that's more my co-writer's song, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that day, she really just helped me get my song out kind of thing. And, um, you know, because it's not about her. She's not sitting around drinking and smoking and cussing. She's, she's a hard, hardworking, respectable lady. <laughs> but um, I was just spending a lot of time and i just realized everybody else i think the song's just because everybody i was hanging out with was just in bars and you know kind of doing the same thing trying to hustle with hustle up their music or whatever their thing was you know and mm-hmm. um i don't know am i getting am i hitting it what you're asking what you're yeah asking? no i love it and um, i think it just came from the moment because 2013 was like what that's almost years ago, years ago wow. yeah so we were in a different hole at that time, I think. Um, like, but I can you can still I can still kind of relate to it. It all you know it all holds up and people dig it and um, and then I was writing with I was working on a project. We're still working on it um, with Bob Weir and he plays a solo on the song and that really just kind of was like all right now we got something here that like somebody's got to hear this this is crazy you know because anderson's playing rhythm so it's like holy moly anderson's playing with bob weir you know i'm singing like 
I mean, I was collecting grape trading tapes, like dead tapes, like bootlegs. When I was in eighth grade, I had a website called Small Town Tape Traders. And I, you know, it's like audio cassette tapes, like 90 minute ones. And you just list all the shows you have. And then people would email you and, and they'd list all the shows they had. And you would just trade shows. And I just got like 150 Grateful Dead bootlegs on tape that I was listening to in high school, you know, and then suddenly here we are sitting in our office and dude sitting on our couch, just like putting a solo on one of my songs. It's like, what in the world? So again, it's like, I don't, uh, you know, I didn't know, I didn't really care if we put this record out or not, but the record has started. It started to care. You know what I mean? It started so much shit was happening. Natalie sings on it. Robert Randolph plays a solo on it. Ashley Monroe sings on it. Waylon Payne sings on it. We got, so, I mean, it just turned into be this like name dropping kind of like super project of all these people who just were my friends that were in to help get my music out, you know? And so it's, it's like, I don't know. It's just something that I don't think I necessarily like wanted to do. I think I just had, had to because the thing's there and somebody's, you know, we got to put it out. We got to back it up. And like, Good music's got to be heard. I guess. And I don't know. And then the only way to find out is if, if it, I don't know if it's good music, but we're going to find out. I mean, it's all right. It does the job. It's got music. It musics. It's got yeah. music. In it. It'll music. And then we'll see if people dig it. I mean, I figure either people will like it a little or they'll like it a lot. And then mm -hmm. I kind of figure if they like it a lot, we'll keep playing. And if they like it a little, I'll go back to writing songs just for Anderson, you know, because yeah. I like it. I, like, I mean, leave the singing to the guy that can sing. <laughs> And as we said, he's going to go on for years. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how many we're making. He's me and him are making a, a one more record on me right now, just because I've got a pile of songs I need to get out. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about this is really like a test in the it's a it's a great experiment to see yeah. if anybody wants to hear me sing my songs or if we should just keep handing off the words to everybody else. But <laughs> I'm happy either way, just as long as I'm not digging ditches. Exactly. And I'm sure everyone is going to love the whole record. It just sounds like an incredible project. I'm really excited to hear the whole thing. Um, are you, have you got kind of touring plans? I know you've kind of been doing quite a few shows recently. Yeah, yeah I'm taking off in two days. I'm going out with uh, the Steelwoods. Have you heard of them? Yeah. I'm big, I, I've got like four, three or four songs with them, but my buddy in that band, he's rowdy. He, uh, Jason Cope, he passed away this year. Uh, and so they've, their, their show has really just like, it's really like picked up some, like, it's like someone just laid the hammer on the gas. And it's like, I think his passing really just solidified this band. Like this band just like suddenly and just like a force. Uh, so I've been, I'm going out on a Wednesday night, leaving Wednesday through Sunday. I'm going to do, I'm playing in South Carolina and then Lexington, Kentucky is about half an hour from my hometown. So I play there on Friday and, um, yeah, so I'll be on a bus with them, uh, just for a weekend. Then I'm going to do like five shows with Anderson, um, just to open it up for him. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to go out with Hayes Carl for a month. And I'm pretty excited about that. Like, I guess you've heard of Hayes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot I've, a lot of people where I've been gone, like, Hayes Carl, like who? I'm like, man, I don't understand because to me he's like a living legend. He's like, he wrote a uh, "She Left Me for Jesus." I don't know if you ever heard that song, but it's probably one of the greatest Americana songs there is. Mm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I'm gonna be be in a bus for a minute, and then um, hopefully more after that. It all just the record's coming out next spring, and um, we're gonna put songs out kind of leading up to it, and um. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, keep in touch. I'll, I can, we can talk again in the spring and yeah. see if it's changed. Definitely. Um, before I let you go, though, I yeah. do have three questions that I ask everyone. Yeah. Um, and apparently I've been told they're quite hard questions. Okay. <laughs> but they're all based on threes. Um, and I ask everyone the same ones. Uh, my first one is, is can you, can you name three songs that you'd wish you'd written? Um... Happy birthday, jingle bells, <laughs> and um, I don't know if I wish I wrote it necessarily. I mean, I'm the ones I'm saying I wish I wrote with like, friends in low places. Some of these songs mm -hmm. are gonna be gone forever, but I mean, it's my favorite. Like from a crafts point of view, I really love um, uh, Colorado Kool Aid. 
by uh, Johnny Paycheck. Mm-hmm. Song about Coors Light. It's crazy. There you go. It's just check that song out. It's crazy. It's about the simple things in life. Oh my god! And it's just an insane story. And um, what else? There's one other one. You know, maybe not songs, but I think Shel Silverstein, his poetry, like his kids' poetry. I write a lot of kids' songs. Mm. I got, a, I got a, a project on Spotify without my name on it. It's called Yip Yap Yup. Check it out. It's Y I P Y A P Y U P. And I sing in every song, and then there's some public domain stuff on there. But no, really, no. I think the ones I wish I wrote are like, uh, down by the bay where the watermelons grow, back to my home. Some of these kids' songs, mm-hmm. the Itchy Spider, you know, what a great song. You know? I think they did the guy, them forever. Yeah, and the guy that's writing about camels is having a lot more fun than the guy that's writing about living and dying. You know? <laughs> Very true. I like, yeah. And that's what, yeah, you'll see. I got songs about brushing your teeth and taking a bath. And there's one called Only Eat Edible Things. <laughs> you know, just the common sense stuff. I'm going to send them to all my friends and children. Please do. Record them that record. If you know anybody that like does reviews of kids records, I need to figure out, I don't know what to do with my kids' music, but I'd love to get it out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, Phil Barton, I think, wrote a kids record. Oh, yeah, he's, 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 he's Yeah, but I, so I did the podcast with him and he definitely spoke about a kids record, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so there you go. There's a, a name. Like Bob the Builder or the Wiggles or something. I mean, he did some big stuff. Yeah. But definitely um i'm also gonna ask three albums you can't live without uh i listen to this record called probot in my car and it's like dave Grohl playing drums with all his favorite metal singers and their different metal yeah. songs it's wild as hell i love it um that one i'm gonna say probot i'm gonna say uh I don't know. I go back to Too Short pretty often. Too Short, getting it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's old rap. That's old rap. And um, so Probot, Too Short, getting it. And uh, three albums I can't remember. I don't know. It's all right. We can take two. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about it. I mean, I got a lot. I like a bunch. Of, let's say Blues Explosion because that's usually my go-to. Yeah. I'll say the the record. The, my favorite is Now I Got Worry is the name of the record. John Spencer Blues Explosion. Now I Got Worry. Okay. Too short. Too short. Getting it. And Probot. That very eclectic selection, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then final question. All right. Number three, because there's three threes. Yeah. Um, three kind of artists or writers or producers that you haven't worked with that are like bucket list for you to work with i'd like to work with beck one day i always thought beck would be great um i mean i mean like lil wayne like some of these i keep thinking like some of these like out of the out of you know dr dre uh snoop <laughs> like some of that stuff or like really even like uh you know the metallica guys i've written a bunch of stuff with this band airborne and it was all like acdc kind of sound and stuff have you heard of any of that stuff airborne i recognize the name yeah definitely. there's a playlist on spotify that uh it just has a bunch of songs i've co-written on it um like if you just type in like co-writes or something it'll maybe that's up. where i've heard it because i've like, listened yeah like there's a song called Blood in the Water about a shark attack that's just insane. And and I had so much fun writing that stuff. So I mm-hmm. think like it would be weird. I think it'd be weird uh co-writes, you know. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think it'd be like some country guy. And for the most part, I've written with a, a lot of amazing people that I realized would be a dream write for a lot of people. And I try to like remember that when I'm going into some room, like, hey man, this is an opportunity that people would kill for, like, you know do your thing well mm-hmm. yeah. and I, th- I think every right i got i'm trying to treat like my dream right kind of thing so also so i don't get like 
I don't want to walk in and be like starstruck or anything. I mean, I think if I wrote with Beck, I'd just still, it'd be cool. But I also, you know, I kind of just go in not really expecting anything. Yeah. And just hoping for the best and usually getting something good, you know, but we need great. We need great, not good. Yeah. Well, you've had some, some great hits and I'm sure there will be more. Um, I hope so. We just got to stay alive. I'm taking my vitamin D and my, I got all my shots and all that shit. I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, ready to roll. There you so, go. Got my papers. And that's what you need. Um, yeah. And I, I'm really excited to see what, what's to come. Um, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you, thank for, you for asking me all these questions, for for caring, for caring about songwriters. Thank you. I, you know, as I say, I'm a songwriter nerd. So thank you for, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute I think you pleasure. Try to write, just try to write some songs. It's easier Maybe. than you think. It's just a matter of just having the boss to do it. Just just, mm-hmm. just be like, you know what? I'm going to give it a whirl. You don't have to play it for anybody, you know. You got to just write some stuff down, though. You'd be surprised. If you're that into to songwriters, I'm sure you can write a song. Mm-hmm. I'll send you something. <laughs> okay, do it. No. Do it. I won't. Um, but especially, and if you are touring and if you are coming over this way, um, over to the UK, please let us know. Um, yeah. I'm sure I will be. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I will be at some point. So keep, please keep in touch. Yeah, definitely. It's been absolutely awesome to chat. And yeah, uh, yeah fingers crossed. And good luck, obviously, with the record and everything. I'm really excited to hear it.